Our sermon text can be found on the inside of the bulletin, Matthew 6, 19-24. If you'll remember, we've been going through the greatest sermon ever preached, which certainly was not mine. It was the Sermon on the Mount by Jesus himself, where he tackled the toughest questions in life. And uh, we just spent a lot of time going through the Lord's Prayer, and now we are going through some very practical applications of how we take Jesus' teaching and implement them. So for the next three weeks, we're going to be talking about laying up treasure, treasure in heaven, and the interface between faith and life, particularly money. We're going to be looking at Matthew 6, 19 through 24, and I'm going to be focusing on the first three verses this time. Uh, so from 19 to 24. So hear these words from the scripture. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on heaven, where moth and rust destroy, nor thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Well, the political machine is gearing up, isn't it? It's a war of words and it's a war of flyers and phone calls. I don't know if you've been getting them, the automated phone call that comes in about Romney, or it's about George Allen, or it's about... Uh, it's about um, Obama, President Obama. Oh, the president. You know, but at the end of the day, it was Dick Morris, the political consultant, that said, it's the, about the economy, stupid. It's about the economy. And, and sure enough, this race is about the economy. Two different plans how to fix our alien economy. Truth be told, we're in big trouble whichever plan we choose, because we have spent ourselves into debt. And all of us know on a micro level what happens when we spend ourselves into debt. Sooner or later, you have to pull uh, in the belt loop, pull in the belt, and find a way to save and to get yourself out of debt. And I want to tell you a story. I don't know if you remember the story of Nick Leeson. You don't recognize that name? He was a rogue trader for Barry's Bank. Leeson was an interesting character. He was, a, he was born in England, and though he didn't have uh, any college education, he landed a job as a clerk. Uh, at a private bank. And Leeson had a bit of a golden boy touch, and so he moved up the ranks and ended up uh, being a trader at Barings Bank, which is the oldest and most venerable bank in England. These were the guys that negotiated and funded the Louisiana Purchase, just to give you a sense of who these guys are. Well, Leeson uh, somehow got uh, access and convinced his uh, superiors to let him go ahead and make trades. And frankly, he was good at it. In 1992, Lisa made unauthorized speculative trades that made large profits for, uh, for Barron's bank. His profits accounted for 10% of Barron's annual income. Barron's uh, was so taken with this guy that they appointed him the general manager uh, of the futures market in Singapore. And once again, he didn't disappoint. He was doing great. But sooner or later, one's luck always runs out in speculative trading. And his losses that he had began to mount. And he realized that his job would be taken and the fortune that he had amassed from bonuses and so forth was in jeopardy. And so Leeson began squirreling away his losses in error accounts with variants that were, there were not controls to watch out for. 
And so as he continued to try to make the money back, the losses grew. In fact, by the end of 1992, the losses exceeded 2 million pounds. Leeson decided, I've got to find a way to make all this up and quit. And so he placed what was called a short straddle in the Singapore and Tokyo Stock Exchange. Basically, he was betting that the Japanese stock market would not move significantly overnight. However, the Kobe earthquake hit in the morning on the 17th of January, sending Asian markets into a tailspin. Despite Leeson's opportunities to try to fix it, he couldn't get out of it. And at the end of the day, the losses for Barings Bank was $1.4 billion. He was arrested. In fact, Barings, the most venerable bank, was liquidated. You know, it's interesting how money is a big part of life. Not just Leeson's life or a bank's life, but ours as well. You know, Jesus knew that as well. So Jesus, in his talking in the gospel, spends over 15% of his time talking about money. More than heaven and hell combined. And he said some outstanding, controversial things about money. In Luke 6.23, he says, Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. But woe to you rich, for you have received your consolation. He also said, Whoever does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he covered it up. And he went and he bought that field. Think about how many significant interactions that Jesus had with people over money. How about the rich young ruler? Or the tax collector Zacchaeus? Or the woman he observed putting two coins in the treasury? And of course, Jesus coming into the temple and overturning the tables of the money changers. Why did Jesus spend so much time talking about money? Because money is a telescope into the human heart. And it doesn't matter whether you lived back then or now, whether you used a denarius or a credit card. The human condition is still the same. And so Jesus in these first three verses tells us about two places, two ways to lay up treasure. One in the world and one in heaven. These are two ways which are diamet diametrically opposed to each other. For Jesus says one will not last, but one is eternal. One will give way to fear and greed, but the other will give way to hope. One that is filled with hoarding, and one that is filled with giving. In fact, Jesus' formula for a safe investment is counterintuitive. Because Jesus says the greatest and safest return on your investment you can receive is the one when you give your life away. We're going to look at Jesus' strategy and try to figure out if that is true. We're going to look at three specific points. Number one, Jesus talked about the strategy of investing in the world. We'll look at the strategy of investing in the world. Number two, we're going to talk about the strategy of investing in heaven. And then finally, number three, we're going to talk about how to transition from one to the other. Because the greatest and safest return on your investment you can receive is the one when you give your life away. Well, let's look at that first point, treasures on earth. Jesus said, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. <laughs> this word lay up is literally treasure up treasures in the Greek. What is he talking about with treasures? He's talking about possessions. He's talking about more than cash. You know, back then they didn't necessarily have stocks. They had flocks. He's talking about possessions, everything that you have. And Jesus is saying don't treasure up treasures 
goal to be accumulating these treasures on, in, on heaven. Don't build, excuse me, on earth. Don't build up a house of treasures because this treasure won't last. Either something is going to happen to them. Now notice I really appreciate this. Jesus did not say, don't invest in something. Wow, when I speak, you know, it really pounds there, okay. Jesus did not say, don't invest in something. He said, either invest in something. We, by our very nature, are investors. We are treasure hunters, if you will, looking for the best return on our investment. But Jesus said the reason you should not invest in this world is simply this, that the wealth that we invest in this world is subject to being gone, decomposing, leaving. Notice he says that where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. You see, riches on this earth are subject to the elements. The moth, of course, we're familiar with those. I, I walk in my closet, and lo and behold, I've got uh, holes in my clothing. Now, clothing was very expensive back then. There was no Walmart to go to. And so people valued themselves by their clothing. But Jesus is saying that the moth will come in and will destroy. And the moth would also destroy and eat the foodstuffs that they had gathered to store from winter. He says that moth will destroy, but rust will as well. The Greek word literally is that which eats. That which eats away, and we know what rust does, it corrodes metal. So the money that people had accumulated, Jesus is saying that would be corroded away. Because nothing exists on earth that lasts. So our treasures will be subject to elements, but not only elements, but to people as well. Jesus said, don't treasure up these things where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. The literal translation in the Greek is where thieves dig in and steal. See, all of the houses back then were made of, of earth. They were earthen block. And so if you needed to steal something, you wouldn't go in the front door. You'd just start digging on the side of the home. And as a result, you could break in and penetrate the house. And so there was no alarm system back then. There's no 911. I don't know if you've ever been in a third world country, but we were in Nicaragua for a while. And when you go to a third world country, you will, you will discover that all the houses are barricaded and they have razor wire over the top. And people pull their cars in. Why? Because there's no police that are going to come necessarily when you call. And so the result is that is these wealth, this wealth is subject to people. You know, why do we build treasure in the first place? Why do we gather up stuff? It has to do with the fact that we have needs, isn't it? It was Abram Maslow, the psychologist, who talked about the hierarchy of needs that we have. We have the most primal needs of food and clothing and shelter and air. But the next is security. Security of our body, security of our employment, of our resources, of our family. And so why are we building up these treasures? We're building them up to ward off the things that can happen to us. See, our wealth is our armor, if you will, that provides a survival and security. See, truth be told, we can simply take the words in the Bible and apply them to our possessions. My possessions are a strong tower. I run to them and be saved. <coughs> Blessed are those who take refuge in their possessions. Trust in your wealth with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge your wealth in all ways and it will make your path straight. The only problem with wealth in this world is it's unstable. It's constantly decomposing or subject to theft. 
And so the strong tower that we trust in becomes a coffin, a golden sarcophagus that we try to shore up and seal up and guard with our life because it is our life. But at the end, it must go. Jesus told the parable about living this way. He said, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And I will store up all of my grain and the goods. And I will say to myself, you have plenty of food. Eat and drink and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. See, if we trust in the things of this world, we develop two pathologies. The first is greed. Because we never have enough. We have to get more and more. We have to continue to build the walls of our fortune. But the second is death, is fear. Greed and fear, because we know sooner or later that our time will run out. And so Paul says to command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, but to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our employment. Enjoy, excuse me. Now the question we have to ask about storing up treasures on earth is where is God? Where is God in this investment strategy of storing up in the world? The answer is he's nowhere. He's not in the equation. We are God because we are the ones that have to take care of ourselves. But the truth is money never satisfies in the end. Money will buy a bed, but it won't buy sleep. It'll buy books, but it won't buy brains. It'll buy food, but not an appetite. Finery, but not beauty. A house, but not a home. Medicine, but not health. Luxuries, but not culture. Amusements, but not happiness. Religion, but not salvation. A passport to everywhere but not heaven. See, if our wealth is our possessions, what happens when we lose all of it? The real measure of your wealth is how much you'd be worth if you lost all of your money. And so, God says, do not love the world or anything in the world. For the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he does and has comes not from the Father, but from the world. I want to tell you that I happen to be a part of the dot-com craze. Remember the dot-com craze when these internet companies were coming out and there was the new economy? Well, I got sucked up into the excitement and I went to work for my own dot-com. Well, it wasn't my dot-com company, but it was a dot-com company. It was called Christianity.com. There's something vaguely unsettling about that uh, URL. But CBM threw in $10 million, and Sequoia Capital out in California threw in $10 million, $20 million in this venture. And I was employee number five of a company that would grow to 95 uh, people. And if you'll remember, the whole goal was to get big, get big. These, these uh, IPOs were occurring, and people were becoming rich beyond compare. And lo and behold, I was granted 50,000 shares of Christianity.com stock so that if ever went public, I would be a multi-multi-millionaire. Something became very interesting for me as I held on to my 50,000 shares as I caressed them lovingly. And I thought to myself of all they could buy, of how my troubles would go away. Expensive vacations, wonderful time, 
great houses, the opportunity to do, not to fear for anything in my life. And then, of course, the party was over. And lo and behold, almost overnight, the dot-com crash occurred. And my 50,000 shares were worth nothing other than lining the birdcage. There were over $7.1 trillion in market value lost during the dot-com craze. See, in this world, if we invest and put our hope in it, ultimately it will come to naught. So what is your investment strategy? Where do you pile up your wealth? You may be a businessman, and you're in the game of acquire and accumulate, and you're trying to get more cash, more opportunities, more investments, so much so that it becomes the focus of your life, and your family becomes a distant second. And God, we don't even know where he is in the equation, because we're chasing after the wealth of this world. Now notice, I'm not saying that it's bad to go ahead and try to do good and prosper in your business. What I'm saying is treasuring up the things of this world will ultimately bring despair. So where is your heart? All of us keep a ledger in our life of credits and debits where we show the value of our possessions and the negatives. So what does it mean? What is it that you think about and you put right in that place? When I say the Bible word, trust in blank with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. What goes in that blank? Delight yourself in blank, and it will give you the desires of your heart. You see, if it's on this earth, it will ultimately perish. And your life will be one of fear and greed. Like a man stranded out in the ocean, seeing all of this water that he can drink, but none of it slaking his thirst. See, the greatest return on investment that we can receive is the one when we actually give our life away. Well, this brings me to my second point. As we've talked about the earthly investment, I want to talk about the heavenly investment. For Jesus says, do not lay up your treasure on earth, but lay up your treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So we have to answer two questions. Hey, what is this treasure that he's talking about? How do we lay up treasure in heaven? Surely it's not money. It has to be something else. The second question we have to ask is, how do we lay up this treasure, whatever it is? In the world, we get it. We, we raise up money for reward in this world. But this laying up treasure for heaven is something that happens up there. We're laying up something here for there. Well, we can understand a little more of what Jesus is talking about by looking at a parallel passage in Luke 12. So there's another Sermon on the Mount in Luke 12, two different translations, where Jesus says, Fear not, little flock. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. You see, he's saying that the solution to getting is giving. That as you make withdrawals from yourself to people on earth, you're making deposits to your account in heaven. See, Jesus is saying that the way to get is to give. Remember the rich young ruler who came and he said, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You know the commandments. Do love your God. Do not steal. Do not defraud. And what did this rich young ruler say? All these I have kept since I was a boy. And then Jesus looked at him and he said, One thing you lack. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. 
See, what Jesus is saying is to give. Give until it hurts. See, it's one thing to give. It's another when you actually have to sell positions, possessions. When it hurts you to give. But when you do that, what you're doing is communicating to God the things on this earth are not as important to me as the things in heaven. See, laying up tre treasure is simply a transfer of treasure, a withdrawal and a deposit. The truth of the matter was the rich young ruler couldn't do it. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Why couldn't he? Because in this new system of storing up, it's a delayed payment. It's a step of faith. We don't see the treasure necessarily until we get to heaven. And so it is more uh, than simply being able to do it in this world. But Jesus is talking about more than simply giving money. He's talking about other things. Remember the story about a man who had invited him to a banquet? And Jesus said, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. See, this laying up treasures in heaven is not just about money. It's about giving up your reputation for others. It's about giving your time. It's about giving away your love. It's about giving and giving and giving until it hurts. But laying up treasures is more than just money. It's more than just these things. What Jesus wants is your life. When the disciples heard the rich young ruler going away, they said, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and he said, man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, see, we have left everything and followed you. What will we have? Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sister, or father, or mothers, or children, or lands for my sake will receive a hundredfold, and will inherit eternal life. But, but many who are first will be last, and the last first. See, the more that you give, the more that you get. Jesus is not talking about a lifestyle change. He's talking about blessing your life. And the people that God wants to invest in to receive this treasure is people like you and me. Remember the final judgment when they're the sheep and the goats? And Jesus says to the sheep, the people on his right, come you are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me and I was sick and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and gave you a drink? And when did we see you naked and clothed you? And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, as you did for the least of these brothers you did for me. Jesus is saying to love Christ is to love the people around us. And loving hurts. I was in the line at Sam's Club about five uh, months ago. And you know, when you go to Sam's Club, you're buying in bulk, right? So everybody takes their time, you're throwing stuff at Sam's Club, and they've got to wait in line because people are throwing their stuff and they're putting on. 
So needless to say, you know, I'm a little, little hurry here, and I've waited my turn, I'm throwing all my stuff on, and lo and behold, the, the people before me had a, a ton of stuff, and so it was time to pay, and they go up and they give their credit card, and Sam's Club says, we don't accept those. See, Sam's Club only accepts debit cards. And so these people are sitting here with this giant thing that's already been run, it's already been put, and lo and behold, they can't pay the bill. And there is that little voice in my head. Oh, no. But there was the call. Was it from God? I have no idea. But the message was simple. You need to help these people out. And so I said, wait, because they were going to put it all back. I said, I'll tell you what. I'll go ahead and let you use my debit card, and you just pay me back. And these people looked at me like I had come from Mars. Because nobody ever does that. It's all about our own thing, isn't it? Now, there could have been a chance this was an entire setup. And I must confess to you, I'm thinking to myself, am I being had here? But the point is, it's not my money. And the point is, so what if I'm being had? Because as I'm giving, I am getting. Now, predictably enough, I waited for my check. We exchanged addresses. And lo and behold, no check. No check coming. And as I became discouraged about the human condition, I had to remember one thing. I wasn't giving so that I could get. I was giving so that the Lord would reward. I didn't even remember the name of these people. But I finally remembered their name, and I called them to say, hey, have you sent the check? And she said, I'm so glad that you called, because when we went out, I lost your phone number, and I didn't know how to contact you. A week later, I got the check. You know, sometimes we get the check back, and sometimes we don't. But if we only give so we can get, don't the tax collectors and the pagans do that as well? Jesus says, give. Give up your life. Give up your money. Give up your time. You will be rewarded at the resurrection of the righteousness. This brings me to my final point, which how do we transition from one to the other? We want to have this. We want to live this way where we're not a prisoner of our possessions. And yet it's so hard. So hard to let go of what is on this earth for that which cannot be seen. You know, in my time pastoring and watching life and observing mine, I've discovered this. That everybody has a foundation that they, they stand upon. Everybody has some place where they put the weight of their life. And it doesn't matter if it's a strong foundation or it's a shaky one. We all got to have them. And it may be shaky, but we're not letting go of that thing. Because that's where the foundation is. And we will never leave that foundation until we find another one that we can stand upon. And so as we hear this idea of treasure in heaven, of a treasure that will truly satisfy our heart, we ask ourselves, how can I make the jump from there to here? The answer is simple. The only way we can make the jump is because Jesus made the jump first. Think about it. Wasn't Jesus' life a life of sacrifice? Wasn't it a life of giving? Did not this one, the Son of God, who was on the throne of heaven, give up His glory to become a man, to be born as a baby to a poor, unwed mother in a corner of the world? Did not Jesus extend His life loving people giving away his time, willingness to be misunderstood, 
giving away His glory. In the end, did Jesus not give away His life? See, the truth of the matter is, Jesus' inheritance is you and me. Instead, He gave up that which was in heaven to get us on earth, to bring us up to be with Him. See, at the end of the day, what is it that we desire that is in heaven? It's not money. It's not possessions. God has all of those things. He says, I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I'm not hungry. If I would, I wouldn't ask you for everything in the world as well. See, what Jesus wants from us is our heart. But where our treasure is, our heart will be personal. And what we are looking for is not a possession, but we're looking for a person. Jesus has built a way to move from our shaky foundation to his solid foundation because he made the jump first. Because of him, we can walk across his body. We can walk across the scars. We can walk across the cross into the arms of our heavenly Father. Heard an interesting story about a farmer who lived in a kingdom and he loved the king. And so one day he grew a carrot. In fact, it was enormous. It was the greatest carrot that he had ever created. And so he took it to the king and he said, My Lord, this is the greatest carrot I have ever grown or ever will grow. Therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you. And so, as he turned to go, the king said, Wait, you are clearly a good steward of the earth. I own a plot of land right next to yours. I will give it to you so you can grow your produce right alongside my garden. And the man went out happy. But a nobleman saw what was happening, and he thought to himself, if, this, if the king gave this man this simply for a carrot, what happens when I bring him a bigger gift? What will I get? And so he brought a beautiful black stallion to the king, for he raised horses. And he said, my king, who I love, I have, this is the finest horse I've ever had, and so I want to go ahead and give it to you. And he gave the king the stallion, and the king said, thank you. And discerning his heart, he said nothing else. And as the man turned to leave, the king said to him, you thought that you were giving me a gift, but the gift you were really giving, the stallion wasn't for me, the stallion was for yourself. See the difference between the two? We give because of love. We give because we love Christ, and we want to honor Him and worship Him. And so we give by loving others, by loving others with our money, with our time, with our possession, with our heart. Always looking to them and through them to God. See, each one of you is the carrot. Each one of us is the carrot that says, God, this is the best I have, and I give it to you. And God says, come and share in your master's happiness. For I was hungry and gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and gave me something to drink. Have you made the jump? Have you made the jump from your shaky foundation, the treasure that you have gathered, where moth and rust and thieves break in and steal? And have you transferred your money to a bank that will never be broken? Because the only way we can guarantee a great and safe return on our investment is to give away our life that we might get Jesus Christ. And if you do that, do not guarantee that God will bless your lifestyle, but He will bless your life and you have a future and a hope 
And you can lay your head on your pillow at night, not wondering if the next day your entire world is going to crumble. Because Christ is the bank that will not break. This is my hope for you and for me today. Let us pray. Lord, what a beautiful picture of true riches. You are the one that we're looking for. For this is eternal life, that you may know the one true God, and Jesus Christ who gives us him. Lord, help us to unclench our fingers from the triflings of this world. Help us to look away from our shaky foundation to you, our strong and sure foundation, the one who came across from heaven to earth and laid down his life for us, that we might be with you. Help us to embark in this dance of love, where we love you and we experience your love, and we can have peace and joy even in this world as we look forward to the coming kingdom. We pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen.